Welcome to the Media Mavens podcast, where you'll hear the most compelling, provocative, and real conversations with industry leaders and innovators in tech, sports, and entertainment with our host and CEO of well-known PR firm, Axis Entertainment, Sarah Miller. Hi, this is Sarah Miller, CEO of Axis Entertainment and your host for Media Mavens podcast. I'm super excited with our guest today, Ian Hecox, one of the founders of Smosh. And I'm super excited, Ian, that you're on the show because we've been talking to you guys on getting funny for this whole summer. So welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And that doesn't mean you have to be funny. I just love Smosh. And what is funny is one of the guys who works for the agency, our senior editor, he literally saw you guys on the podcast because, you know, Daniel, we just did Daniel Tibbetts. And he was laughing. He's like, oh, my God, I was a big fan of Smosh way back in high school or college. I was laughing that, OK, that's true fandom for you when somebody is right out of college and remembers Smosh from way back when. So yeah. I that little call out to you guys. But I want to chat with you. You are the founder of Smosh. What's up with you and why you don't have a LinkedIn? So, <laughs> not necessarily in that order, but like I, I love we had Daniel on. I, you know, we talked about Smosh and where it's going. It's almost like an SNL up on the next level. You're the founder, right? Or one of the co-founders of Smosh. Correct. Yeah. Me and my friend, Anthony, we started Smosh, the YouTube channel about 16 and a half years ago. So in 2005, when YouTube was just getting started, we had previously been making, we had made a couple uh, of these webcam lip sync videos and put them on our MySpace page. And we were hosting the videos oh, on... I'm just laughing. You said MySpace. I MySpace, yeah. So long. That dates it. So, yeah, Isn't we... crazy? Like, how... Like, we're talking about MySpace, how we've evolved from MySpace AOL to where we are right now. I mean, like, okay, sorry. But, like, let's talk about how Smosh evolved from MySpace to where you are right now. Sure, yeah, yeah. So... MySpace is really just a, we had a small following on there and we're making these silly videos and we're garnering a small little audience. And at one point, somebody stole one of our videos and uploaded it onto YouTube. And that's how we found out about YouTube. So we went to YouTube and we're like, oh, like there's this, this website where you can host your videos for free and you don't have to pay hosting fees. This is awesome. So that was our original reason for for going to YouTube was because it was it was free and we were fresh out of high school so you know working part-time jobs we didn't have that much money and so we we started uploading on on YouTube and using our small audience that we had on MySpace to get some views up on on YouTube and and at that time the only discoverability on YouTube was getting your video featured on the front page of YouTube or being in the most viewed of all time category. Cause that was the only way to search for something that you would think would maybe be quality. You're like, okay, well it has a lot of views. It must be good. So at that time you could vote to have a video get put on the front page. So we, you know, sort of activated our MySpace audience to vote for a video. Our video made it on the front page because it was on the front page at the same time, YouTube was getting some press. That was our first sort of like hit. And, you know, as time went on, we, we got another video on the front page, one of our lip syncs, the Pokemon theme song, which was us literally just lip syncing the theme song to the, the Pokemon cartoon. And then 
adding in these sort of like sketch elements, like these sort of like little jokes about like what it would take to like capture a Pokemon where like beating a Pikachu, the stuffed Pikachu with like a belt to like get it down in health to capture it. Cause that's like the whole thing of Pokemon is beating an animal senseless and then capturing it in a ball. Children's cartoons, you know. <laughs> Wait, are, and, you, are you also a writer or you, I mean, I know is your background, sorry to cut you off there. I'm trying to figure out your history. Have you always been with Smosh or were you a writer in comedy or production prior to Smosh becoming a full-time company? Yeah. I mean, at that time in, in 2005, neither myself nor Anthony were writers or we had no aspirations of being comedians. There was no such thing as being a creator at that time. It was just us, you know, having fun and putting out these silly videos. And I think it really resonated with people because a lot of other young people saw these videos and said like, oh, that's, that's just the kind of thing that I do with my friend. So I think it was really relatable. and. There was no such thing as a career in online video, or there's no such thing as being a creator or an influencer at that time. So we didn't have any sort of blueprint. We were just kind of seeing where it went. We saw that you know our videos were getting views. The Pokemon theme song video eventually made it to be the uh, most viewed video of all time on YouTube for about a year and a half before it was removed for copyright infringement. So you know we had this big hit. And we're like, okay, well, we're not making any money on it, but there is something here. There are eyeballs on it and we enjoyed doing it. So we just stuck with it. We started creating more original comedy sketches and we started selling merch, which I think we might've been one of the first YouTube channels or, you know, online creators to, to have a merch offering and started making a little bit of money, just enough to move out of our parents' house. And eventually YouTube asked us to be one of the first 10 channels to be in their partnership program, which meant that they would run a little ad at the bottom, you know, a little pop-up ad at the bottom of your video. And and we would get some money for that. And it was enough to quit our part-time jobs. And we were going to community college at that time. So we we went, okay, like let's just start going to community college for just the classes that apply to what we're doing right now. So people said that our writing sucked. We'll take a screenwriting class. People said that our acting sucked. We'll take an acting class. People, you know, say that, you know, we weren't funny. Okay. We'll take an improv class. And fortunately our community college had all those things and they actually did help a lot. Cause like I said, we had no aspirations of, of being writers or being comedians or being filmmakers or being, you know, entrepreneurs. So this was all just, you know, kind of we're in the right place at the right time. And and I guess we had a knack for it. And we just stuck with it. And yeah. I feel like you're like, I mean, I love this story because I feel like you're one of those typical or not typical, like one of the exceptions to the rule of a true, like it or not, Hollywood story. You guys didn't want to do this. You just kept doing what made you happy. You didn't give up. You Like you said, we're not funny. Be funny or take a class. You're not a right. Go take a class to keep doing what you love and who you are, the founder of a very well-known legacy comedy channel. I and mean, it's very impressive how you guys just went into this, your perseverance is to keep going. And here you are today. Yeah. Yeah. I think we at least had some form of taste that just happened to be right. And then, yeah, a lot of it was right place at the right time. And and we were excited by it. 
Cause at that time, you know, it wasn't, we weren't clearly weren't doing it for the money because there wasn't any money to be made. But when we did start making money, it allowed us to, to focus on it full time. Do you like production better? Do you like the writing better? What's your favorite part of all of this? I love the comedy aspect of it. I like, I, I'm a little bit of a provocateur. I like to, to make people feel things, you know, I, I think Sometimes I, I push the boundaries a little bit just because I have a bit of a of a dark humor. So, uh, <laughs> you know, there's kind of a, a meme between the crew here and some of the fan base, which is like another bummer from Ian, just because I, I just love kind of dropping like a, just a horrible dark fact that I find entertaining just to see the way that people react to it. I, I think, I mean, you're like me, sometimes I'll be talking to my friends or like, you know, whatever dinner with a bunch of us or with Daniel. And I'll just say something so disruptive off the one. It just kind of looked at me like, huh, did you just say that? And I'm like cracking up. Like sometimes mm-hmm. like I crack myself up because I don't know why anybody else didn't think that was stupid and funny. It was so dark and stupid. Like I always believe like being a good entertainer or knowing knowing you're good at doing what you're doing, which is what you guys are entertaining people. You have is if you can't provoke somebody to laugh or cry. You're not doing your job because the idea is to disrupt their displacency, to create and evoke an emotion. So they're either going to laugh, they're going to cry. But if they're just flatline, yeah, you, you got to kind of look at, wait, why Why is there entertainment? Because the whole point is to evoke an emotion. And I right. feel like whether it's the crying yeah. or laughing, you know, you're on this, you're doing it right. If you're creating any kind of emotional response. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think one great example, and, and I know there's a certain faction of the audience that still probably, uh, isn't happy at me for doing this, but I had teased that there was going to be a press conference the next day and made it very ominous. Like I was going to announce something really bad and we held a press conference, had all these microphones and the whole setup and everything to look really official. And it was for me to announce that from now on, I would be peeing sitting down. (laughs) <laughs> and I brought out a bunch of graphs and very plainly explained why it's the ethical thing to do. And a lot of people were really upset by that video because they thought that it was going to be a serious video and that I did actually do something but wrong. Ser- but it is serious. It means that guys don't have to put the toilet seats up and down. It's actually funny. Well, I mean, you know, it's, I certainly think it's much more clean and I, and I advocate for all men to pee sitting down. It's, exactly. it's I mean, if you, if you've ever had to clean a toilet, you You're know, just seeing what everybody else is thinking, you just said yeah. it out loud. That's right. That's right. But it was the expectations yeah. that I enjoy kind of subverting expectations. And, you know, sometimes some, not everyone on the internet is, is going to be on board when they, you know, were maybe freaking out thinking that I did something truly uh, bad. But, but the problem with the internet is like with social media, you get all these trolls out there and they're just, I mean, going serious. I think there's a lot of people who aren't happy, who are very blatant about their pains. They're not nice. Some are really awful. I feel like don't be a freaking coward. Like if you have nothing nice to say, say nothing at all. It's the internet. It's not realistic. Hey, I got 20 billion likes to piss off people. It's not realistic. People are just, posting to post to say what they say. And I feel like you can never be too afraid of making somebody laugh, cry, or making somebody mad because you got millions of people, unless you're private, people are going to react. And I'm okay with that. You want to react, get a reaction. But my big thing is 
have a little bit of class when you do react. You're not creating a war. Because I've had to tell people, you want to go create a war? Do it on your own Facebook page, not on mine. Because it's getting a little bit slanderous to other people commenting to your post. And I think social media and the internet is a slippery slope. There's a big gray area. But if you're going to upset a bunch of people, well, you know what? You're doing your job. You're posting free will, freedom of speech, whatever you want to do. You're not going to make everybody happy. I always tell our clients, you need a thicker skin if you're going to be on the internet, on social or posting anything, you know? If not- Sure. Yeah. And I think with comedy, especially now, we we do have a responsibility to be be sensitive of of people. And I don't ever want our comedy to be at the expense of any any specific group. So it is a good challenge, I think, in this current era. I think when people complain like, oh, we can't make jokes anymore. It's like, well, then, you know, maybe you should just quit being a comedian because maybe you're just not funny. (laughs) Like, (laughs) You know, like you can't tell jokes anymore. Well, then maybe just tell better jokes. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. I think there is a line of when you're some comedians are really, really funny. One of my favorite is Ron G. He's opened a few shows for us that we produce actually with Daniel. And I feel like he's he's funny, but in a class way, some comedians dig into people because at first it's kind of funny, haha, you know, humility. But then when they keep digging and digging towards almost insulting and blatantly hurtful and they go too far, it's like you're not funny anymore. You're just coming off as an ass. You're just being hurtful. And I just think there is that fine line but i mean pain sitting down is not offensive but you can't make everybody happy but i i do love that really good comedians they know how far they could push the boundaries and envelopes and still i mean they know they're smart they're aware of their surroundings they're aware of what's on the news you know what to say and what not to say and what is funny if people weren't so like pent up with all this anger and so freaked out about it. A lot of stuff is funny. People are just so afraid to voice anything anymore because of the past few years. And that's where I think people have got to find that. They've got to find something that makes them laugh again. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the inspiration's out there. Obviously, there's still probably hundreds of comedy specials that are coming out a year. Clearly, there's still comedy to be had. It just comes in different forms. Mm. You know, we we don't want to tell the same jokes that that our parents have been telling or that our grandparents have been telling, like, like let's move on to new material. I love when comedians make fun of themselves and they have their own situations or stupid stuff they did. And it's like, like, you know how we all do stupid shit, funny, not funny. It's just stupid, but you got to tell your friends or text one of your friends because it's just so stupid and it doesn't matter how shockingly dumb it is. It's funny. You just got to tell people about it. And I love when people actually don't have that, like they have that sense of humility where like, you know what? It happened. It is what it is. It's funny. Why not tell it? Not big. Oh my God. Nobody needs to know. I locked myself out of the car or that I couldn't, you know, open my car because the battery died and the keys wouldn't start out of somebody come in who steals cars to go underneath to get open, which was my situation. Three of my friends know the story stupidest story yesterday who cares that's life so i love when people find everyday things in life funny and they Mm want to talk about it you know yeah i mean i think i think for comedians oftentimes your worst day is is a great opportunity it's like you know whatever bad happens to your life is like well there's a story you know there's a story i can draw from so i love i love when people say you know what 
this happened. Like, he's like, oh my God, you seriously? Go, well, you know what? Now that I think about it, it is funny. Back then, I was pissed off. It was stupid. But yeah, it, it is funny now when you look at it from a different perspective. Um, let me ask you a question, Ian. Like, what, like, what inspires you to do all this on a day in and day out basis? Is it like a specific comedian, a style? Is it like what, what is, what's giving this inspiration to keep going like this? I think that, I mean, the really cool thing about what we do is, is that being in this creator space, it's constantly changing. It's never staying the same. There's always a new style, a new trend, a new format that's rising to the top. And that keeps you really engaged in like, okay, what are people watching right now? What's funny right now? You know, what's what's the sort of style that people are going for with comedy? It's always changing. I mean, if we were to be doing the same thing that we were doing five years ago or 10 years ago or 12 years ago or 15 years ago, we wouldn't be here. Like it's it's always changing. And it's and the challenge is on myself and, and my team to figure out, you know, what is Smosh in 2022? What does that mean? Like, what are we? Three years ago, TikTok was just getting off the ground. Maybe it might have still been musically. Maybe I think it might have already been TikTok by that point. But it was. It wasn't. It was not the behemoth that it is today. And TikTok has completely transformed the landscape of digital media and comedy. So, you know, if we were to just if we were to just stay like as the people who make sketch comedy videos on YouTube and ignore everything else outside, that would be you know a disaster. So it's really exciting to to just always be learning and be around such an engaged community of of other creators of other people just trying to figure out you know what the hell is going on and sharing tips and tricks and secrets and being like collaboration is what I love about Smosh. It's not just single writers, a head writers, like with shows you have a collaboration of a team that works so well together that feeds off each other, which Mm -hmm. then result produces some of the funniest stuff out there. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's for me, what, what I think is really special about Smosh is that, you know, it did start out as a, partnership between myself and Anthony Padilla. We grew it into a brand that then became a place for other comedians to come and contribute. And I think that's highly important, especially in comedy where, you know, comedy is the thing that ages the fastest out of anything else that you see. I mean, try going back to watch something that you thought was funny 10 years ago and there's going to be some stuff in there that you're going to go, Ooh, like, I don't know about that joke anymore. And you see some comedians, I guess in, in Hollywood, I suppose that just keep with the same kind of like, you know, they're just going to keep doing that, that thing for us. It's great because we're bringing in other voices, people that come with other experiences and other points of view and work with us to, create new forms of comedy you think that's just because i mean you know they have a writer they're not i mean they're aging out i think to your point where when they just do the same stuff over and over they do kind of age out of the 
being funny in the comedic circles, but they usually have one writer. I think when you're creative and you could pull from your life experiences and have a collaboration team like you have with your writers there and your actors, you're always going to have a fresh new perspective versus being a solo comedian on stage with just one writer over time. Yeah, I feel like then they lose their inspiration because our jokes aren't funny and they just kind of stay on stage until they're just done with their career. Or this is why I think what makes Smosh so unique, your team community, everybody has a life, different personality perspective on everything. So coming together every day is going to always be new, fresh comedic skills and writing because you built the right team that fits within that relevancy of always staying fresh and relevant on or off stage. Right. And I mean, I think that another sort of buzzword with digital media and the creator space is authenticity. With a show like Saturday Night Live, you're not getting Kate McKinnon and Keenan Thompson as their authentic selves on Saturday Night Live. You're getting Kate McKinnon and Keenan Thompson, the actor, that is putting on a really good performance, but it doesn't matter who they are off camera. It doesn't matter how they gel with the rest of the cast. It just matters like when they turn that camera on, are they scripted. going to perform their bit? And then they go home. The- yeah, but you know, like, do you really think, I mean, I know it's scripted and I've seen them in movies and this is kind of like a lot of actors. You see a lot of these amazing, charming, bubbly actor, actresses, comedians, but as soon as you see them on Fallon or Kimmel, like they're so quiet. It's like stage fright. It's yes, no short answers. I'm like, wait, your personality is so big and funny somewhere else, but in real life, they're very quiet. They're not, you know, they're camera shy. But like you said, they're acting. So it, it's a different personality, but I feel like Saturday Night Live, because half the time you see them with whatever guest is on, you see them like turning their head because they're trying to not crack up with some of the stuff that's on the skits and you know sometimes they are trying to keep it together for the cameras because you know they're cracking up and you could you could see when it's so funny even they're just busting up and trying to get a sense out i mean i know it's scripted but i feel like with kate mckinnon i mean keenan these are my favorites on there you really think it's that scripted or you don't think they have some movement to free flow kind of on their own kind of make it work for them and it's not really their personalities as comedians or do you really think it's very black and white scripted totally different once you walk off stage i think i think what i mean by authenticity is just that you're watching saturday night live for the performances you're not emotionally invested in the actors that are on the show where with digital creators the viewers want to feel like they know this person and that they can trust this person. And reading about like the sort of old days of Saturday Night Live where there was actors on there that hated each other. There's no way that you could bring that kind of energy to a place like Smosh. Like, because the people here actually need to be friends they need to actually the get authenticity along. where they generally want to be around each other to be right. motivated inspired yeah i know that makes sense yeah no i mean i i get that and i mean i guess you're right that does come through because you look at some of these shows like 
Sex in the City, the movie, the most recent one they came out with, which was really horribly done. They should have stopped at that second big blockbuster movie. This third one on HBO was really horribly written. They weren't funny anymore. It's just the whole thing was just, it wasn't good. But everybody now knows, oh my God, these four best friends and people saw them together and out. They hated each other, which is why um, Samantha didn't do it. So I, it, it's exactly yeah. what you're saying you don't have that authentic it's like laws of attraction you either have the chemistry and it just works naturally like you've been best friends forever cracking yourselves up on a park bench or you got to sit there and force yourself i can think that's the difference between being an actor and authentically being yourself with others that just naturally exudes energy and chemistry and yeah i mean it's two very different styles of entertainment and i'm definitely not knocking on keenan thompson and Kay McKinnon, but it is two very different things where they need to be professionals and show up and nail their parts. And, you know, our cast need to actually be authentically themselves and show up and and support each other. Like that's the most important thing about Smosh is that everyone in here is, is here to lift everyone else up. And if you have, you know, one person in the group that's just saying no to everything, saying no to every comedic offer to them. It's obvious. It's clear. And the viewers will, will point it out. Like that's, that's the thing. Like viewers are really smart and they, they will catch everything, every, every nuance, every, like every eye dart, everything. Like you can't get anything past them. So, you know, when we present everyone as an ensemble and as, as, you know, a group of people getting along and having fun, that does truly have to be authentic because you just can't fake that. And, and maybe you could, but not for long. And it's eventually like people- when you're out with your friends and you're cracking up, you remember when you tripped on the curb and your Starbucks or you forgot your cars or your glasses were on your is you can make fun of your friends out of love, obviously respect. It's authentically funny when you're doing that, where yes, when you're acting, I can't make a comment if I'm in a parking lot and I see Kate or somebody big trip and fall and be like, oh my God, no, you don't say that. They're an actor where if, yeah, you guys are friends, you're, it's family. So it, it, it's going to come through more authentically than when you're just reading lines on a cue card. Yeah, definitely. And I think that definitely shows in our funeral roast series where we will feature one of our actors. We're starting to do guests now, but we have one of our castmates in a casket and we have this sort of mock funeral and everyone comes and gives a eulogy for them. Some of my favorite moments are one of them will come out and tell like a very personal story about them, about something that they did. And it's just so funny because it's real, you know, it's life. That's the yeah. thing. Plus it feeds your dark twisty side. If you're doing funeral roasts. Oh yeah. It's probably my favorite thing that we've created in the past couple of years. It's, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. So funny because you brought up TikTok earlier as a mul- and it is a multimedia platform. And what I love about it is not just music. It's not just people being funny. It's authentically people tripping, falling, doing stupid stuff. Or, I mean, it's, it's sad when you see somebody on a ski lift and the ski lift breaks and people fall ahead. For, I mean, it's not funny, but it is kind of funny to laugh. That's just life. And I do love how TikTok has evolved into such a huge monster platform that is from recipes to how to, to the dumbest, funniest stuff that's not staged. Well, most of it's not. Some of it's funnier when you know it was, holy shit, did you just see that when you didn't even realize what you're capturing on your camera? 
you know, versus all the stage influences. And I get we have our influencers and everybody. What what I don't like, I mean, like or don't like my pain is just I don't like when people are everything they're posting is staging it and acting like there's somebody they're not to get likes because all those likes are fake. They're just people commenting where I think when it's really, truly funny and authentic, where, you know, that wasn't a stage faux pas. It was just funny because you just tripped over your shoelaces, walking to a pole, looking at somebody's, you know, I just stuff like that. I feel that's what's really driving TikTok and what's driving the internet. I feel like influencers were big for a minute, but I feel like the influencer market is really dropping the respect and credibility of the people because they're trying so hard to look and act like somebody they're not. And they're not funny. They're just trying to be perceived that they have a lot of friends and they have this lifestyle they don't. Where I feel like when we've done a lot of some of the research, the audiences are leaning further away from those influencers to authentic real people who may have a stain on their shirt, who is authentically with friends laughing. That's not trying too hard to be somebody they're not. And I think the audience on viewerships, it is leaning, at least with COVID. You know, whether it goes back again, but I think during COVID, people are leaning away from looking at the fake bullshit that people <laughs> post to say there's somebody they're not to be more like, hey, we know you're not an influencer. Stop trying. But they're moving towards the real people, like the real, real, truly people who, like you said, are funny and they just they don't care. They're not there to impress people. They're just there to make you laugh or cry because it's just who they are. I'm seeing videos on TikTok of people making fun of influencers mm-hmm. now. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's just it's funny. It's such a I mean, it's sad for the people who are trying to really be taken seriously because too many people are making fun of them. That's just not what people want to see anymore. Yeah, I think that, you know, I read some study that there's now 50 million people that identify as creators. And I think the thing is, now we have an entire generation of kids that have grown up consuming content from creators. There are hundreds of millions of people now that are very savvy with influencer style content and they can smell bullshit from a mile away. And yeah, it's very clear when somebody is, you know, making sort of fake content or set up content and you see people calling them out and that's great. I mean, I think we should hold people accountable. To, we should to call make... them out. We should just, just go through all our Instagram and Facebooks and call out all the ones like, yeah, you're not really that person. We know that's fake. We know that's fake. That's not funny. It's, I, I feel like somebody's got to go filter through all of that and just call these people out because it's just, not to be controversy, but like you said, everybody can say they're a content creator. The numbers are correct. I get that. Do you feel that that's a skewed number that that's anybody could call them a content creator just to act like there's somebody they're not? Or do you really, really feel a content creator is a loosely held term that these people deserve to be called a content creator if they're just creating stuff just to create stuff? Because like I could say I'm a content creator because sure. we have a podcast. We yeah. have you know, a PR firm. I would never in a million years, for some weird reason, call myself there's a content creator. And I know we are, but I'm not. We're not funny. We don't do it to impress people. This is part of our job. So I am, but I don't consider, I would never, I don't think I've ever used that word content creator because I feel like you're a content creator. Smosh is a serious, authentic content creator, an exceptional job with the right talent, the writing, everything to deliver content and entertainment right 
I feel well, like that's you I, I would say you are a content title. creator. We're sitting here creating content right now, and then you're going to put this content out there for other people to listen to. I, I'd say you're very much a content creator. I, I don't think that there should be a barrier of entry, you know, just like somebody may call themselves a painter. I don't think it's any different. I think that the, the difference is people see content creation as a career, as a viable career. Now, I mean, there's another survey that I read that said that there's more American kids that want to be content creators than astronauts. So, you know, whether or not they're all going to become successful content creators isn't the point. It's just that there are so many people that this is their aspiration, which is crazy to think that, you know, 16 years ago when Smosh got started, it just simply didn't exist, you know? Mm-hmm. And now and now here's 50 million people that are identifying as a uh, as a content creator. I think it's... Right. So I'm going to go dark because it's get dark and twisted here. Do you, sure. really, do you think a lot of that is earned or just because we look at the NFTs. I have a JPEG and I got lucky and I you know, bought this for $10, sold up for 2 million, whatever. I feel like people see, because there's so many tools to create content and distribution platforms. I feel like sometimes, and I could totally be wrong. So I know you'll set the record straight if I am wrong. I feel like people say their content creators is an easy way to not be lazy, but just to post stuff to try to make easy money versus pursuing something like maybe being an astronaut or a doctor or a lawyer. But I feel like there's so many tools that I see a lot of kids that are so talented who I'm so rooting for. They are content creators. But I see a lot of people that are just saying that because they feel like oh, it's an easy way to not have to go back to work after COVID. As in, I mean, I, I mean, I, is that a just explanation or am I way off base to have that opinion? I think it's not on us to say whether or not people are content creators. I think we may think some of the things that, that some people put out there is lame, but you know, if, if it makes them happy, if they're enjoying what they're doing and if their audience is enjoying what they're doing or there's somebody out there that enjoys it, then great. Like I fully encourage people to express themselves as authentically as they can. I think what I don't like seeing is like, yeah, like you're saying, like fake pranks. I'm not a fan of. I just saw a bunch of those stupid ones on reels on social, like yesterday. And I was, I, that, what that, I just feel like my intelligence is being insulted where I'm just like, do you really think people aren't gonna, people are gonna believe this? But that's, but that's just me. But then again, there are a lot of people that do enjoy that. Clearly, there's a market for it. I feel bad. I feel bad for the people that they're playing the pranks on who you know, these, they're pissed because they were actually falling for it. I mean, sometimes I think it's, yeah, I mean, I, it's like art, art, you know, beauty is in the eye of beholder, right? Sure. Uh, whatever you think is funny, sad, whatever you want to post, like you said, post away. But I, my big thing is not so much the pranks. It's people that I actually know that I know aren't influencers are starting to do stage stuff to mimic like people that are to try to see if they can get the followers and yeah. money and brands. That's well, I mean, I, I don't know. You gotta, you gotta start somewhere. I totally understand the the struggle and the hustle. You know, I mean, I'd say that there's a lot of artists, including what we did. We imitated people that were better than us. Like our comedy imitated things that came before us. And that's, and that's where most artists start from is, is by imitating somebody that inspired them or somebody that they looked up to. And eventually you find your own voice. 
And I think that's what we did at Smosh. We, we imitated, you know, like Will Ferrell movies and like Spaceballs was my favorite comedy movie growing up. So I imitated a lot of the comedic sensibilities. That's funny though. And you're learning from other great people who do inspire you, whose talent you do respect. Okay. So that was just so opinionated from like, I just really <laughs> went from A to Z and now I don't know. No, that's okay. I mean, I think, I think at the end of the day, yeah, like everyone's, everyone's got to start somewhere and, gotta be you. and hopefully they, they find their own voice. I think there's so many really great writers and content people out on social and um, you see them. And I love when I see them at a, such a young age putting it out there, good, better, and different. I really do have such respect. I love that. It's kind of like when you were little, learning how to ski or snowboard. When you're a little kid, you have less fear when you fall. It's the same thing with digital and being, you know, being authentic and posting content creation. I love seeing younger people really push the envelope and use their skills versus where way back when, keeping it bottled up is not appropriate. I love that the platform is open. For um, yeah. expression for so many people. Definitely. And I mean, TikTok is a big example of that. You have creators bearing everything, or you know, you have creators with that are in all these sorts of niches that never existed before. Yeah. I mean, aside from some of the things that TikTok's algorithms, you know, demote, I think it's it's really exciting seeing the different ways that people have been able to express themselves on that platform. I think it's also good when you impact other, like literally learn two of the dumbest third grade jokes, literally I think <laughs> off TikTok like a week or two ago when I was traveling. I thought it was funny. And I told one of my friends who has like a little 10 year old, she's like, I've known that from, you know, like, my son was a five-year-old. Like, whatever. I just saw it. I thought it was a funny joke, no matter how stupid it was. But like, so I love that every day is a learning experience. And then I do love, like I saw this one with this girl. I mean, she was authentically in tears. She had long hair, wanted to show her true stuff, had pink hair, mermaid hair, green hair. I mean, she was just all about expression. Beautiful girl. And she had something she put on her hair and her hair fell out, just burnt it off in the shower. And she wasn't kidding. She was telling her story. She was in tears. It was a tough yeah. female that's probably like 18, 19, 20 to be like, hey, this is how we're supposed to look and society pressure. And her hair fell out. She had a hoodie on and she did it in different versions of how she had to accept. She burnt out like long hair. That's quite took her 10 years to grow and yeah. just destroyed it. But the, she was a beautiful girl and her, her whole and the end of this result of this was the confidence that that big mistake, she shared it, had so much confidence. She finally rebuilt what she lost by going public, having the nerve to talk about it. And you could tell it was such a heartwarming story. And the fact that she shared that, I felt gave other young women and girls the confidence. Hey, if I went blonde to platinum to black in my hair, there's nothing to be afraid of. I mean, own who you are. And what I love seeing stuff like that and I love mm-hmm. it when you get to that one with these certain, I mean, and men and women, but I see a lot of it with women in beauty. These girls make such drastic mistakes, but you open and talk about it so openly. And I know there's 20 other people who were able to get confident and be inspired by what she did and that bravery. And that's what I love about these content creators. Yeah, you know I mean? for sure. I mean, I think the vulnerability on on these platforms is extremely 
powerful just because we do have all these societal faux pas that, you know, things that are very common that nobody ever talked about just because of fear of societal, you know, rejection or embarrassment. It's important that, you know, people are talking about these things now and being vulnerable about them because there's a lot of people that, you know, suffer in silence over, yeah. over certain things. I so love having you on the show and I never want to have time. Do you have some extra time? Do you want to help me co-host and introduce Shane since he hopped on the <laughs> sure. podcast? Yeah, sure. He doesn't know you're on. Okay. I'm just going to introduce you. And, and this is my co-host, Ian Hecox. Let's see if Sean could catch on. It's not funny, but I think Shane. it's kind of funny. Shane. Shane. Okay. If it's Shane, I don't know if this is who you're bringing up, but we're we're about to find out. (laughs) He's going to be one of your funny guys. I'm not going to tell him you're on right now. And I'll just, right. So let's just see what he has to say. Shane, is he just, he doesn't want to talk to us. Shane Tom. Shane. Shane. (laughs) Sorry. I didn't mean to hop in. Ah. Hello, Shane Top. You're welcome. Welcome you to meet me of his podcast from Sarah Miller. I'm the new co-host. Ian Hecox. Ian Hecox. (laughs) My co-host of Media Maven's podcast. Welcome to our show. Welcome to our show. Look, sir, I agree to be here as long as you fire your co-host. Uh, Ian I he's funnier I, I, than the I next simply... guy. No, he's funnier than the last guy. Don't tell Daniel Tibbetts. <laughs> I said that. But Shane is my co-host. Shane's the co-host I'm the new, now? I'm the new co-host. Well, wait. So Shane's going to help me co-host to wrap up Ian. Then Ian's yeah. going to sit there oh, and ask you whatever okay. questions he needs to because I have a co-host of a co-host. But... Shane, I want to welcome you to the show. I'm so confused. Thank you. I just want to see if he caught on. But Ian and I are want to welcome you to our Smosh Media Mavens podcast That's and everything. Right. And I know you have a tremendous team there. But let me ask you, Shane, Ian, what are your darkest fears? And who's oh. funny? Who's funnier between the two of you? Oh, that's tough. You know, I, I'm a funny in a like laughing way. Ian's funny in a he'll make you cry of laughter, but of also sadness. Okay, uh, kind of so let's go back to reporting back to Ian. Mm. Ian, let's talk about Shane's deepest, deepest, darkest secrets. No, uh, well, d- darkest, darkest fears. Fears. Yeah, uh, totally different. Sometimes. Oh, actually, I do know that it's dolls. I am scared of dolls. I, I do not like them. Clowns too, or just dolls? Not clowns. Clowns are fine if it's a person dressed as a clown. Now, if it's a doll that's dressed like a clown, that's mm. that's creepy. How Any does, dolls doesn't how matter. Does, how does Ian know this, or did he catch you playing with dolls? We we actually did a video on this once where I faced my fears, and they put me in a room, a dark room full of dolls, mm-hmm. uh, and they made me sit in there for about fifteen minutes, like an escape room. Kind uh, of, except there's no escape. Esca- except there was no way to escape. Uh, my I ha- my goal was to literally face my fears. I did it. They even had someone in a suit in the room waiting to jump and scare me. I don't know yeah. what their goal ultimately was. I don't think it was to make me feel better. I think it was one giant... Ian, are we going to pivot the dark twisty side from the funeral to Fear Factor on Smosh? Is that what this is? Yeah, it was our attempt, but then we realized that, you know, what we thought would be funny was more just like watching our cast go through their literal traumas. So the show didn't last very long. We had Olivia, who is deathly afraid of butterflies, which, you know, that sounds hilarious, but she is literally deathly afraid of butterflies. And I, looking back on that, was probably not a great idea. (laughs) 
but wow. Yeah. We filled a room full of butterflies and she did not have a good time. No. Um, Shane, is there, is like retaliation within the ranks here since Ian's now kind of heading up the dark twisty side of stuff? Are you saying like, are we, we're trying to figure out Ian's darkest fear yeah. and get back at him? I honestly do not know what Ian's fear is. I don't know if he fears anything. I do. I a fear of being rejected for senior prom, but I don't uh, think I'm going to have to deal with that anymore. Wait, uh, wait, Shane, weren't we going to set him up with this prom date? Uh, yeah, we were. But, you know, they they said no. when we brought it up, we brought up the idea. They immediately threw up and said, no way. Yeah. I, I can't even I don't even want to be asked. By they you. said also he's 34 and I'm 17. What are you <laughs> thinking? <laughs> yeah, no, we, uh, we talked to a 34 year old who's still in high school. 34 year old senior. Dude, that's yes. sick. Yes. Yeah, I do have I do have a fear of 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 things deep in the water. Oh, like, I, I pitched. You know deep. what? I actually pitched a video where we take a boat out like far out into the ocean and we jump in. I also yeah. pitched where we maybe strap a cinder block to your foot and we just throw you in. Wait, is that a real, wait, is this a real fear? Like, you know, some people won't go onto the beaches or the ocean. They don't surf because they can't touch the ground or see it. It freaks yeah. them out. Thalassophobia is yeah. what it's called. Uh, yeah, wait, it called? I hate seeing thalassophobia. It's, it's the fear of the deep. Uh, yeah. And it's I, an it's unknown, a, creepy feeling. If you get like, is there something below me? I can't see it because it's. I mean, there and there definitely is if you're out in the ocean. So it are is you, you're, you're not a beach person, then I assume, Ian. You're not a beach person. Or, I'm actually okay with running into the ocean. Shane witnessed it. You just don't like the deep. Ocean. Yeah, yeah. I like to be able to know that there's sand beneath my feet, or at least you're not close. a surfer or a paddleboarder or a snorkel scuba person. Mm. I dabble, but I would not go. Like I've snorkeled where like there was a reef and then suddenly it dropped off. And I was like, no, 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 not mm-hmm. going out there. There's sharks out there. <laughs> Wait, Shane, do you surf? Are you a beach guy or do you have a fear? I love the beach. I love the ocean. I attempted surfing for a while. I just simply suck at that. But I, uh, I grew up, my family would go out to uh, Florida to Key West and we'd go fishing. So we'd go miles offshore and I'd love to jump in the water when I'm miles out i i love it i love uh, it well i i hope that you two can talk about more fears i've been relieved of my duties as co-host okay but wait, but, but, but wait before we let you go it was so awesome having you on this show and as my new co-host co-host since you're leaving shane do we have any last parting thoughts for ian yeah, my last parting thought is really what a just going to say some mean things. No, uh, Ian, what a pleasure you've been. Uh, you, this is really you are the best co-host I've ever talked to ever. So thank you. And you're the best co-host co-host. Thank you, co-host. He's assistant to the co-host co-host. So there you uh, go. Uh, now, Ian, I am going to excited to talk to Shane about Smosh and his background. But thank you so much for being on the show. And you guys, thank you for kind of swapping in at the same time and crossing over. I do appreciate it. No worries. This is a lot of fun. Thank you very much, Sarah. Talk to you soon. Stay funny. I'll try. (laughs) (laughs) Bye. (laughs) Bye. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Media Mavens podcast. If you don't want to miss an episode or want to download past episodes, be sure to subscribe to the Media Mavens podcast on your favorite podcast provider. To learn more about the podcast or our guests, please visit MediaMavensPodcast.com.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.